This is the Weekly Scramble, a place where we chat about life over a cold one or two. It's time to belly up to the pod with Mike Fratelloni and your host, Chris Reavers. Yes, that's right. It's time for the Weekly Scramble. Unfortunately, I hate to disappoint all of you Mike Fratelloni fans because it's going to be another town ball edition of the Weekly Scramble with Chris Reavers. That's me. Hi. Hi. How are you? And uh, we are going to talk a little bit of town baseball because the first weekend of the state amateur baseball tournament took off last Friday night down in my hometown of Faribault, Minnesota, and I basically lived there for over the course of three days. So we are going to talk town baseball with a couple of my good friends uh, in the world of of town baseball one of them right now is with us is jeremy stender from kglb radio jeremy how are you sir doing great man are you caught up on sleep you know it's funny you say that uh my wife asked me the same thing and i think this morning when i got up my legs and lower back finally started to feel a little bit normal um and it was a lot of lack of sleep and a lot of hustle and bustle but man it's been so worth it just to see the park in such great shape down in Faribault, I've seen a lot of images from Dundas, and of course, that's one of the best parks in the in the state, along with Meesville, by the way. It's been so much fun, and running into so many different faces, and also people that were listening to this show. It's been so much fun and so cool, and one weekend down, two to go. Um, it's been a labor of love and a lot of thanklessness, but at the same time, it's been it's just been a it's been a treat. It's been a joy. It really has. Hey, well, you know, I, I haven't got to be over at Faribault yet. I will be there this weekend. But, uh, you know, I was over in Dundas on Friday night. Unbelievable. Um, I have heard nothing but compliments. I've talked to, you know, locally here, some of the Waconia people, the Plato people that were just blown away by Faribault. Uh, you know, I was down in Dundas covering Broughton last Friday night. You know, I couldn't believe it. I'm looking forward. I get to go over to Meesville on Saturday for uh, the Waconia game. I'm at all three parks this weekend. So just looking fun. You guys are just doing an unbelievable job. And, you know, again, for town ball rooms like you and I, this is the three best weekends of summer. Uh, it's so much fun. And there's so much prep that goes in. And all of a sudden, in like a matter of 21 days, it's gone, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the only, the only sad and depressing part about the whole thing. Now, for you workers, you're kind of like a little bit relieved, but at the same time, there's kind of that, oh boy, it's all over. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, wives and kids are like, hey, dad's home again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In fact, my son had his first football practice last night, and one of the coaches said, are you hanging in there? And yeah, I am. And, and I've had so many little great stories that have popped up, and I'm going to share one with you really quick before we get into some of the teams and some of the action. A guy drove down to our park. This would have been Saturday Saturday morning. He drove down to come down to watch the first game, and he got there actually a little bit before the gates opened, but it was fine because he didn't really know the rules. So I just said, just hang out here. I'll come I'll come get you square You know, once we get things rolling. And he said, oh, what, what's what's the ticket? And I said, oh, it's, it's 10 bucks." And he says, oh, no problem. And he goes, do you need me to come back after the next game? And I said, uh, no, no, sir. Th- that ten bucks—that's good for all four games today. You're 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 good to go. You don't have to leave the ballpark. I went, you got to be kidding me! Ten bucks for four games? I said, "Welcome to Town Ball, sir." That's the that's the beauty of the tournament this time of the year. It was it was cool. And so here's yeah, a guy I, never been to a game before and just realized what a bargain. Yeah, how great is that? And I think Aaron mentioned it when you had him on last week. He talked about you know you have a family of four, and then you charge someone under eighteen a buck. Yep. <laughs> You know, it costs 22 bucks for a family of four yep. uh, to go to the game. That, that's just, you're not going to find a, 
a better bargain. You can uh, have one of those uh, cold beverages that I know you guys are, are serving well over in Fairville. Oh, yeah. Have a little dinner and all of that. I just figured that's the other thing. Your wrist might hurt from keeping track of the uh, the beer tracker uh, from last weekend, too. I, I have already gotten on some of the Waconia guys saying that, you know, okay, it was Union Hill. You know, let's give we'll give Union Hill the benefit of the doubt. They're pretty good, but these Waconia guys they better they they've got to step up their game in the weekends going forward. I did give a little bit of uh, some of those guys a little bit of the business after I saw that scorecard. One scorecard, excuse me, once the game was over, and they said, "Oh boy, next weekend we got our work cut out for us." And that's been <laughs> one of those little kind of sidebars that just makes tournaments like this fun. And I thought this would be kind of cool to, to give other teams a chance that maybe if they don't win the game, maybe they can win the war as it comes to the concession stand, which is which has been a lot of fun. Um, all right, so let's talk a little action. And I I feel guilty personally. Personally, because last week on our show we really didn't talk much Class B. We mainly focused on on Class C action, but a massive storyline in Class B baseball occurred. I believe it was Saturday night as my Chanhassen Redbirds lost their first game, so there will be a new champion crowned in this year's Class B action at the state tournament. Yeah, I think you and I were talking earlier in the week, and I said there were. You know, I, I kind of thought there were three stories. Uh, from the Class B tournament, but the biggest one is, is definitely that Coon Rapids victory uh, over Chan, and and I did have a chance to watch most of that game uh, on Saturday night. I think Chan, the first two guys that came to the plate in the first inning, they both scored, and they got nothing after that, and I thought it was great by, by Coon Rapids just kind of rallying it back in, right? And yep. Because that that's scary, right? You're playing against the four-time defending state champs, and all of a sudden in the first inning, it's like they're coming out and they're trying to step on your throat right away. So, you know, great recovery to them. And to, to that point, so, you know, obviously Chan losing, we know we're going to have a champion. That's probably the biggest story because I don't think anybody expected it this past Saturday night to happen. But, you know, the Metro Mini was on their Twitter account the other day, it, it kind of boasting a little bit, and they should be, but we should probably do a little boasting for them. Metro Mini, 4-0 and Reavers uh, at the state tournament. Coon Rapids, Champlin Logators, Blaine Fusion, and the Anoka Bucks all getting wins. So four of the five, uh, top eight left uh, from the Metro Mini. So I think that's a cool story, and I think the other story, if you kind of twist it and you look, not only Chan from Section 3B, but also Prior Lake, Chaska, and Egan. They went 0-4. Right. So, you know, when's the last time you saw Section 3 go 0-4? So those are a couple of the intriguing storylines. And, you know, it's almost kind of like a little bit of a, a sigh. I don't want to say a sigh of relief for these other teams, but now it just opens up. It's like it's a wide-open tournament, right? It's like when the heavy favorite, you know, goes out in football or the NCAA tournament, and it's like, boy, you could see any of these teams now. And now it just really becomes down uh, to matchups. You know, Meesville was was the team I picked at the beginning just because I wanted to be different. So I still think that they're probably the favorite in there. But, you know, you got a Moorhead team that's still stinging a little bit from last year. They were kind of figured the team that could challenge Chan, and they went home the first weekend. Um, you know, Rochester, they, they've, they're kind of the – you know, the, the new blood, they've got that Meyer kid, uh, the pitcher who almost beat Chan last year on the second weekend. Yep, so yep. Um, I, I just think that there's some there's some fun storylines. And then maybe, you know, the best storyline with what we have left is you've, you've got a potential Meesville and Dundas matchup uh, on Sunday. 
And you've got both of those teams left, and they're hosting in the state tournament. I think that's a cool story, too. I think the B now with, with Chan out of there is wide open. I think there's a whole bunch of different scenarios that we could see play out here. And as a guy that's looking at a tournament's, uh, t- tournament attendance numbers, boy, am I rooting for a Dundas-Meesville matchup for sure on Sunday afternoon. There's no question about that. So I think to me, just kind of, and again, I, I, I told you this earlier, but I've been so fixated on what's taking place in Fairbowl. I've barely been able to watch the games at our own park, let alone see what anything in action at the other two facilities. But one of the things that really stood out to me in Class B was the way that Moorhead just handled Newmarket. I thought Newmarket had a decent chance to win at least a game, if not two, in this tournament. That one really stood out to me. Yeah, I, I you know, and I had a chance briefly on Sunday to tune in and uh, listen to Aaron Worms call on that game and and by the time I turned it on it was already kind of going a little sideways so I was a little bit surprised by that too but again you know at the same time I'm not just because you know this is largely a lot of the same group of Moorhead Brewers guys and probably you know for lack of a better term a little pissed off a little picked off right I mean there was a quick one last year for them and um you know and they were kind of everybody's pick to challenge Chan and they went 0-1. So I think their matchup with Champlin uh, on Saturday in Meesville, that, that that's a really good one. And you know the other one, the other second round matchup I like uh, is Dundas and Blaine. I just think that you know Dundas getting an opportunity to play on their home park. Um, Blaine has kind of also been if, if there were you know there was Chan and then it seemed like there was kind of everyone else, but it seemed like people were always talking about Meesville, Blaine maybe a little bit more head in there, and then Rochester, just from what we know. Um, so it just kind of creates this this different dynamic in Class B because it seemed like you spent so much time trying to, to slay the dragon, so to speak, and, yep. and knock off Chan or hope somebody else did it. That's done. You know, Chan's out. They're not, they're not coming back. And, uh, and if they do, they're coming as spectators. So it just opens up everything. Uh, for these other eight teams, and they all have a right to feel pretty good going into the second weekend of the state tournament. Now remind me, because I know they changed some of the rules in Class B, whether it was last year or the year before. Is this next round of games in Class B, is that also still single elimination, or have we moved on past that? It's still single elimination for the final eight. And once we get to the uh, final four is when we go to double elimination. So, got it, got you it. Know, that's the other thing that makes Friday and Saturday so interesting, right? Because all eight of these teams are still playing, you know, for their tournament life. And uh, that, that, you know, so we'll see how that kind of plays into the factor. If I'm looking at it right now, I like Meesville, Blaine. I'm going to go Moorhead. And I do like Rochester, uh, to continue their run, I think it ends for for Coon Rapids, but uh, they're definitely uh, they're definitely the pride of the Class B tournament right now. Sure, knocking off the uh, four time defending state champs. No question about it. Jeremy Stender is with us here, talking a little town baseball here on the Weekly Scramble. My name is Chris Reavers. Jeremy, of course, with KGLB Radio, and you guys are going to be doing a lot of games this coming weekend, are you not? We are. We've got three three of our four advanced. Obviously, Watertown is the Region Seven champ. Uh, they didn't have to play. Um, we did lose Plato. I was a little surprised by that one. Great game over at your place yep. uh, with Ada in a, in a 5-4 game. And, you know, what people got to remember a little bit, I think, about this Plato team is they're really, really talented. But, man, this is just such a young group. And, you know, 
some of the people that I talked to, again, I wasn't there, thought, well, maybe the Blue Jays were just a little flat. Well, sometimes that can happen with young, you know, inexperienced teams. And But, you know, I didn't think that it would necessarily affect that team just because, you know, for people familiar with high school baseball in the state, you know, the Glencoe Silver Lake Panthers teams, all of these kids were – you know, some of them a part of that state championship team from last year, teams that have won section titles, that have just done a lot of winning, um, that I, I thought maybe that that was something they'd be over, be able to overcome. Unfortunately for them, they just didn't. Um, you know, for the Broughton Bruins, how about that performance the other night by yeah. Ryan Grahams again? He On, what did he throw? Did. did I see he threw 155 pitches? I think it was 155 wow. on Friday evening. And it was kind of funny. It's a good story. I, I was chatting with him and their manager, Doug Schutte, who also happens to be Ryan's father-in-law. Um, and I was talking to them after the game, having a beverage. And, uh, you know, we, we started getting a little bit of rain in Dundas that night. And the mound, you could tell it was starting to get a little sticky and a little gooey. And Doug had made a mound visit because Ryan had just walked a couple of guys and he never really does that. And, you know, Doug's like, well, is it the mound? Do we need to get, you know, get the f- grounds crew out here to get some stuff on it? And he goes, no. He goes, I just don't have it right now. And Doug just looked at him and said, well, find it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, Ryan, and Ryan did. He, he recovered nicely. They got out of that inning because they had led 4-1 to one going to the bottom of the eighth, but they left uh, the tying and go-ahead run in scoring position in that bottom of the eighth, and then Broughton tacked on three uh, in the top of the ninth inning and, and, and kind of won – comfortably seven to three and what what which was a much better game than what that final score uh showed but you know ryan grams has just continued i think now it's it's 45 innings so far in the postseason and he's allowed four earned runs so he's been pretty magical uh for that bruins and they're gonna try and look to keep it going against Isandy this weekend yeah and you know there's a couple of things that really stood out to me having watched you know a lot of all the games you know in fairboat taking place last weekend one of them, as you mentioned them earlier, the the Waconia Lakers win over Union Hill. You know, it it, it look, on paper six to two win. Okay, what's the big deal? They pretty much dominated the second half of that game because I believe they were getting no hit up until the fifth inning. But man, that's a good club that they have in Waconia this year. And the first game, I believe this was the first game on Saturday, Urbank. They've got a kid named Alex Kep, a left-hander. I think he struck out twelve against Sartell, and Sartell is no joke. Uh, when it comes to hitting, by the way, that kid was on his game for Urbank. And I, again, I had to look up where the hell Urbank even was, <laughs> knowing nothing about their team. But man, that kid can pitch. I'll go back to your first point, and I'm going to come back to, to Urbank because I think that's a really interesting second round matchup they have with St. Patrick. To the Lakers, yeah, I think Conrad Mossberg was, uh, had a no hitter into the sixth. And, you know, that's kind of – Waconia's got this just really powerful offense. There is not there is not a break in that entire lineup. You know, as a casual baseball fan, if you're going to a game and you're thinking, oh, this is 7, 8, 9 coming up, you know, this should hopefully be a quick inning. Not so fast when you're talking about the Lakers. So they're going to definitely need to find their bats a little bit more because Union Hill helped them a little bit the other day with some defensive uh, miscues that, that kind of – pulled that game away a little bit for the Lakers. But, yeah, to your point about Urbank, that was, you know, remember last year it was kind of Caleb Strzok that took the tournament by storm those first couple weekends. I think he had 17 strikeouts in the first game for Sobieski. Yep. And we all know what happened after that, right? Um, you know, this Urbank kid, 
nobody really nobody knew about him. And uh, all of a sudden, he strikes out 12 against Sartell, slices and dices them, and now they get St. Patrick, who is you know one of I would say the perennial favorites. I know that they're right now they're mine. They're the team that I picked. Uh, so it makes it for an interesting matchup. And then, you know, St. Patrick did play Jordan earlier this week. And, you know, but still, it's it's not the same kind of intensity. I don't think it's a huge factor, Chris, but I know as a, you know, Faribault Lakers player, you know, you, you've been in that position too, where all of a sudden two weeks off oh, yeah. without that intense, you know, being caught up in a game, it might take you a couple innings to get that back. And all of a sudden, if it takes you a little while to get it back, you could be down a little bit um, by the time you do find it. So it's just kind of a dangerous thing. I think that's a an interesting matchup, and you talk about a great way to start the weekend in Faribault for you guys uh, with St. Patrick coming to town and then taking on this Urbank team that I think kind of surprised some people last week with what they did against Sartell. Yeah, exactly. And I know, you know, Sartell has routinely been a team that's, you know, customary of playing on Labor Day weekend. And that one really caught me off gutter. And again, it was just because I really didn't know much about Urbank, but they uh, they they seem to handle them pretty well. I know I, I had heard that maybe Sartell was was missing one of their pitchers and whatnot, but a lot of those games. That's kind of why we love this tournament. Is we have no idea what to expect out of a given matchup. I mean, for instance, I know you've always been you know uh, on the bandwagon of the of the Hutch Huskies, and they really took it to Kimball, which I thought. And again, I didn't get to see it. The game was played in Meesville, but I thought a ten run win over a team that won it just a couple of years ago. That one I said, oh boy, Hutch is for real this year. They're, they are for real. I mean, they're, they're really, really good. I'm, I don't know if there's a team in the entire state that swings it like they do. Um, and they've, they've added some nice depth in arms too. So I, I definitely think that makes them, uh, you know, one of the potential favorites uh, in this tournament. Uh, they're definitely in my handful of eight to 10 teams from when this tournament started that I said I could see them playing really, really deep uh, in the Labor Day weekend, and I still do. You know, another interesting matchup, Reavers, I mean, how many times do you, you know, now Avon is in the victory league. They had a nice win over Fairmont in a really fun game, a walk-off win uh, last weekend, but they get to play St. Martin, uh, who's Stearns County. Now Avon is in Stearns County, too. So you got two Stearns County teams uh, that are coming, and just by coincidence, they get to play in Faribault Saturday mm-hmm. night at seven. So that's kind of a prime time game. You might need a new marker to keep track of uh, that deer tally. I was those two teams I, I going was, after it. I was just going to ask. So we have two Stearns County teams playing the seven o'clock game on a Saturday night. My guess is fans for that game are going to start showing up around noon um, to get fully yeah, they, prepared for that matchup. They might have to. There might even be a bus or two uh, dropping <laughs> off some fans, too, uh, when they get there. But I, I think that one's great. I think, you know, speaking of Stearns County, Region 15A, 3-0 and last weekend. So they've got all four teams uh, still playing. You know, we talked about it in B with, with Metro Mini going 4-0. Uh, really nice weekend uh, for Region 15. Now, they, they've got some pretty tough matchups uh, when you look at it because El Rosa's got to play against New Ulm. We mentioned uh, St. Martin going against Avon. And the big thing for St. Martin is people still remember, right? Because last year, Chris, they won one game when they were no hit. And then oh, they were shut right. out in that's... their next game. So they've got to do something to try and uh, find the bats. And, you know, you mentioned Sartell being down a pitcher. There was no David Dominski. So obviously that changes the landscape for them. 
Watkins got a win last weekend, but they don't have Geislinger to throw. Um, I, I don't know if it's injury-related or what it is, but he hasn't been around for the past few weeks throwing either. So uh changes their game a little bit, you know, against Red Wing. I think that on paper that's one that sets up. Really, you could go down this whole list, and there's just so many – uh, great games. I have not seen the Twitey kid from Webster. I heard you talk him up to me, telling me yep. he's the real deal. Yep. Um, I, I heard Aaron Worm talking him up. You know, Young America Cardinals have a guy who, who's played the last few years uh, down at Winona State. Dylan Whitaker has been one of the you know the top pitchers or was one of the top pitchers in C uh, for a number of years. Who all he said when we mentioned Twitey to him, he's like that kid's the real deal. Yep. And he sure looked it. Uh, last week. That's the first time I got a chance to see him. I was watching it on TV, but trust me, he was impressive, and he sliced and diced against that Milroy Irish club. And the, the Milroy boys were actually at our park on Friday night watching uh, watching the game, and they were kind of asking about asking him about us. I said, hey, he's the real deal. You know, Don't look over him. And in fact, I, I made the prediction on this show last week that I'm not going to be surprised when the Webster Sox are playing on Labor Day weekend. That's That's how good he is as a pitcher. I, I think so too, and you know it, it could set up you know a potential intriguing matchup. I think you know people are penciling Webster past Monticello. I think for two reasons: one, Webster's kind of the Cinderella and the darling, right? First state tournament that they've ever been to. It's kind of fun to get behind a team like that. Two, we don't know a lot about Monticello, but people that I've talked to, whether it be state board members or others, you know they just rave about Monticello's lineup. So I think that that is a really really good one potentially on Sunday and then the other one that that's kind of you got to look at you know everyone's kind of you know and again we we anoint teams right and we remember Watertown from last year and getting all the way to that state championship game and we remember what they did this year in region seven which is one of the toughest regions in the entire state and and I don't want to say they coasted through it but they just played really really well and then dominated at the region seven tournament they're playing a Cold Spring Rockies team Scored 20 runs last weekend, Chris, right? Right. You know, against New York Nils. So all of a sudden, I think that's kind of a wake-up one where people are looking at and saying, "Ooh, boy, that could be kind of a juicy game to wrap up the weekend in Faribault on on Sunday." And this has always been one of my favorite weekends of the tournament. You know, granted, there nothing really beats Labor Day weekend, and for obvious reasons. But sometimes the first round can be a little bit of some, you know, some mismatches here and there. But the second weekend, because as you had mentioned, you've got all of these teams that are sitting on a bye that haven't played in some time. You know what? Yeah, they, they might have played an exhibition game, but that doesn't match the intensity of a state tournament game. And then you got a lot of these teams that kind of got their feet under them now because they've got that experience from last weekend. This, to me, is one of my favorite, you know, especially the Saturday of the second weekend, because you're obviously going to have great matchups because someone's already won their game and the other team that they're playing has won their region and then the fans really start to get into it in my opinion on weekend number two yeah I think so too I had someone tell me and this is this is two or three years ago and and kind of made a lot of the same points you made but added one caveat that I really hadn't thought of and they're like you know the teams that are here now are all battle tested. He goes, one, okay, yeah, 16 of the teams haven't played a state tournament game yet, but they've won a region title. Correct. So they're battle tested. And now you've got 16 other teams that they already have a weekend under their belt. They've already won a state tournament game. So they're, they're yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think there's 16, you know, you look down this list and you could, you know, we could, you and I could sit and talk for 10 minutes about each game that's coming up. They're going to be that good. I just think it's going to be another. 
uh, fun weekend down in Faribault, Dundas, and Meesville. You know, there was I was contacting all the teams that are playing in Faribault because I happen to be serving as also the team host for each team that's coming to town because their hitting facilities are right next to each other for each of the teams. And uh, the Watertown folks, and again, I really, I mean, I knew about their existence prior to last year, but didn't know anything else about them other than the fact that they played in the Crow. And so when I got in touch with them, they said, our tournament coordinator is going to be getting in touch with you regarding tailgating. I went, oh boy, here come the Red Devils. <laughs> and so it was yeah, great. Bro. So Brad got in touch with me last night. It was it was phenomenal. And I can't wait to see that crowd because they've got the primo matchup at 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And those those Red Devil fans don't mess around. <laughs> They're going to be flying their, their big W flag. And uh, yeah, they, they, and they don't take uh, tailgating lightly um <laughs> you know they they have a lot of fun with it and uh you know they'll do it they were doing it for region seven games you know they would get together a few hours before the game and they're you know doing different things so uh it, it will be a uh yeah you're gonna have a big Watertown crowd um you know i remember from that 2020 state tournament now obviously attendance was limited because of what we could do because of the pandemic. Right. But, you know, Cold Spring had some pretty big crowds too. So, you know, that sets up to be kind of a, a nice, uh, a nice one to wrap up weekend number one. And I think it's, you've got one of the favorites in Watertown to win the whole thing. And then you've got Cold Spring who's coming off maybe the most impressive performance in from the first weekend of the state tournament. I don't care if you or I are pitching, Chris. You're scoring 20 runs in a game. You can hit it a little bit. Yep. And uh, I, I think that, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Cold Springs' offense matches up with Watertown's pitching because Watertown has pitching. You know, it, it could be a 40-inning game, and Watertown is still going to be, you know, going to the well and, and bringing in fresh guys. So it's going to be a really, really good one. I think that's a great way. You know, we, we already talked about Friday night kicking it off with Urbank and St. Patrick. I think Cold Spring and Watertown is a great way to, to kind of wind it down. And it's, it's scary to think that, you know, in only four days, we're going to know who the, our final 16 are. Who are the 16 that are going to be fighting uh, for the state championship? We already know we're going to have a new champion, um, you know, with, with Sobieski being up in B. So it uh, just makes... Uh, so interesting you know we mentioned the hutch huskies they're playing the bluffton braves why isn't anyone talking about bluffton that's another team that was in the state quarters just a couple years ago they got all those dykoff brothers yep uh you know that are going to be there i mean that's one of those games where you could see you know bluffton beat them two to one or if hutch gets really really mad and and their bats just go off and they end up scoring eight to ten it's just gonna there's so many interesting matchups um, there's so many appealing storylines. I think it's just going to be another really, really fun weekend. And again, you know, we talked about it at the top of this interview. If you are looking for something to do, um, head to Faribault, Dundas, or Meesville. Again, you know, 10 bucks gets you in. And here's the thing, Chris, you might say, hey, you know what? I really like this Saturday game at 1.30 in Faribault, but I kind of want to watch this 7 o'clock game you know, Saturday night in Dundas, guess what? You can do both. You get to do both. You don't have to, you don't have to pay to get into the other one. Just bring that ticket stub along. That's the beauty of this. You know, the parks are close enough. You can travel in between. Um, I know the other night 
uh, Chris, on Friday, you know, we remember the rain. I think you guys got started at about 9.15 in Faribault. Yep. But our game got over uh, between Broughton and Gaylord over in Dundas. And I'm not kidding you. There were at least 30 or 40 fans that walked by us and said, we're going to quick race over to Faribault now because that Loretto-Waterville game is only like in the third or fourth inning. I saw that crew when they rolled in and they said, are we good here? I said, come on in, boys. We'll serve you. Get on in here. So, yeah, I, I, and that's – in fact, to, to, to back up your point, I re, we, we got back to the hotel and we were streaming the Chan-Coon Rapids game, the end of that game, because we had wrapped up. And, and this is after the game, after the cleanup, putting everything away, we still got to watch the last couple innings of the Chan-Coon Rapids game. And, and again, we, had to, we were streaming it, but to, but to your point – there's so much flexibility with all of this that it allows you to watch multiple games at once. Definitely. And, uh, you know, that, that's the great thing. And I, and I, I love it too. I had, you know, the other day when I was at home and and I'm watching on TV, I'm listening, um, to a game, uh, on the radio, I'm listening to a game on an app, I'm following on Twitter. And, uh, it's just kind of heaven on earth if you're a town ball fan, because you can really keep track of it all. And, uh, you know, again, hats off to all the work you guys have done in Faribault, to the crews in, in Dundas and Meeseville, and uh, hopefully you got a chance to catch your breath a little bit uh, the last few days and uh, because you're going to be tired again in about 48 hours. But as you said, it's all totally worth it. It absolutely is, and it's what makes us Tomball nerds. This is our payoff these, these, these three weekends for the state tournament. Uh, Jeremy, I know you're a busy guy, but I always thank you so much for your time and your knowledge, of course, on town baseball. You are the absolute best, and we'll see you this weekend, my man. All right, we'll talk to you later. All right, let's switch gears and let's welcome Kip Kovar. He is the Herald Journal Sports Editor, also fellow town ball nerd like myself and my previous guest, Jeremy Stender. He's on the phone with us now. How are you doing, Kip? Good. I think I'm still uh, recovering from Friday night. I'm trying to catch up on sleep. I'm ready for another weekend this weekend for sure. Boy, you and me both. There's no joke about that. So, you know, Jeremy and I kind of touched on, we definitely touched on Class B a little bit because I feel bad. We kind of neglected that last week, but we touched on Class B a little bit and some of the things that we took away from the Class C first round action this past weekend in both Faribault, Dundas, and Meesville. What were some of your takeaways overall throughout the course of the first weekend of the 2022 State Amateur Class C tournament? Well, I'm sure you guys talked about Chan Hassan going down. Oh, that God, yes. Shocker to everybody, oh, especially yeah. just this early. But, I mean, then Chaska, too. So, I mean, Class B is up for the taking right now. So, it'll be fun to see who can kind of take advantage of that. And then Class C was a lot of the same. There wasn't, I don't think, too many upsets that surprised people. But the one thing that just kind of surprised me was how many runs they were scoring out throughout the weekend. Usually, that first weekend, everybody's seeing their ace, and then it's all hands on deck to try to win that game. But, man, there were some big numbers put up there and a lot of high-scoring games. Yeah, I completely agree. And I know me having been DRS raised, I was a little surprised. I guess not surprised is not the right word because Waconia is a rock-solid club, but I've always been a big fan of the Union Hill Bulldogs, especially as it relates to tournament time because I just always feel like they're one of those teams that's geared up to make a decent run in the tournament but I got to tell you I thought Montgomery losing their first round matchup because let's tell let's one thing right now I'm not dismissing El Rosa they're a solid club but the Montgomery Mallards fans brought it to Belfield on uh, on on Sunday or excuse me on Saturday afternoon so I was a little disappointed to see them go for two reasons uh one I'm always rooting for the DRS teams but two I lost my beer drinkers Kip we lost our beer drinkers and the Montgomery Mallards fans 
Yeah, that was kind of a cool feature you had going on at Dome Field all weekend, doing the beer count and keeping fans updated. <laughs> I think it was even that Waterville-Loreto game to start the night. You announced it, and Waterville was telling their fans to pick it up, pick up the pace, so they can, <laughs> they can at least win on one scoreboard. But, yeah, the El Rosso-Montgomery game was a fun one. Um, Union Hill, I don't know what they've done to upset the state board with those first-round draws they've gotten the last couple of years. They had Kimple last year, Waconia this year. They get Hutz or somebody next year, but kind of a team that you wish you could see play and then obviously for the concession stand as well you want them there yeah no no doubt about it and I know we, we kind of touched on the Urbank Sartell matchup and uh and uh Alex uh what was his last name again Alex uh Alex Kep, excuse me from Urbank I thought really stole the show in that game against Sartell with I think 12 strikeouts He's, uh, he's going to be a handful for the St. Patrick Irish Friday night. But if you were to look at the bracket as it stands right now, as we're entering into a, a week two, has anything changed as far as who you thought had a chance to, you know, the four or five teams that you thought had a chance to win Class C going into the tournament as opposed to how you feel on the second weekend? Or is it pretty much relatively the same as it was when we started? I think it's kind of the same, but I'm just a little less confident. I mean, covering that Loretto game Friday night, Loretto, their starting pitcher, doesn't record a single out. They have six errors. They leave 14 guys on base, strike out seven times, and they still win the ballgame. So we always talk about you got to have clutch hitting, you got to have good pitching, good defense. Well, Loretto really didn't do much of that at all and still found a way to beat a top five team in Waterville. So I still think the St. Patrick's, the Delano's, the Watertowns, and Isanti and all those guys are going to be ones that everyone's fairly confident in. But it was just kind of a reminder that anything can happen in this tournament. And, and it's one game, it's not a series, so it's going to be a lot interesting to see what happens. You know, and I'm not going to get a chance to see the Isanti Redbirds because I believe that they're the 11 o'clock game in uh, in Dundas on Sunday. But I have a feeling that that's going to be a decent matchup with Broughton. What what do we need to know about Isanti? Isanti, they had Class B just a couple of years ago. I, they were kind of my sleeper last year to win it all and ran into Sobieski, I think, that second-round matchup. But... A lot of good pitching, a lot of good hitting, a lot of good fielding. They're kind of that team that you've kind of been waiting for them to make a run. And sure. I mean, they're in that loaded quad with Delano, St. Martin, and St. Patrick, so it might be tough again, but they're definitely one of those teams that could come out there. Then on the other end, Broughton, is, Ryan Grahams is unbelievable. He's 37 years old, threw 155 pitches, and that kind of everyone was surprised at around the state that he threw that many pitches, and we're like, that's a regularly – regular day for Ryan Grimms. He's used to throwing 200 pitches through almost 300 pitches in four days in the region tournament to win a pair of games just to get him to state. Yeah, and I know me personally, I, I thought, you know, St. Patrick, I, th- I still think, is the favorite to win the entire thing. Although, you know, now living in Jordan, Minnesota, I've watched the Brewers a couple of times this year, and I won't be shocked if they win another uh, championship there because they've got a really good club. And one of the teams that I've been hearing a lot about but I'm really, really unfamiliar with is the Bird Island uh, Bird Island squad. And I know they also play in Dundas, I believe, on Sunday at 4. I know nothing about them, but all, all the people that I talk to say they're for real. Yeah, Bird Island is kind of one of those classic teams that they're not going to beat themselves. If they can... They're fu- fundamentally sound defense. They added Tingery through the draft, so that's a huge gift for them. Their first couple games, if they advance, if they can get just the timely hitting and keep those low scoring other teams low scoring, they're going to be a really tough team to beat. And also, the same thing kind of applies, at least for me, because one of the things 
you know, uh, I always get feedback from when we do these shows is, you know, we primarily, for my case anyway, we, we talk a lot about the DRS because that's the, the league that I'm the most familiar with, given the fact that Faribault plays in the DRS. Same thing kind of with the Crow because I used to live right in the heart of the, of, of the Crow River League, so I'm kind of familiar with a lot of those teams. But I really don't get a chance to see a lot of the teams from either Stearns County or other parts of northern Minnesota. But I'm hearing that uh, Bemidji's got a really solid club this year. Do you, do you know anything about the Bemidji Blue Ox? I couldn't tell you of specific players or anything, but I know just they're that team that's always going to kind of make it to Labor Day weekend and have a shot. I mean, just they've done it so many years over the past few years. They're consistent, and that's kind of what gets it done this time of year. If you can pitch, play defense, and get those uh, timely plays when you need to, they're always a tough out. And no one ever really thinks about them because you don't hear too much about them, but they always come down they bring a good fan base and they're a really tough team to beat. And you mentioned Loretto, the, the Loretto win against Waterville and it was funny because we were sitting there, we were waiting for the game to finally play it finally stopped raining, we got the field ready, first pitch I believe was exactly at 9.13 and I'm thinking Man, this is the first. This is game one of what's going to be a long couple of weekends. But the one thing that you and you mentioned this a little bit ago. But the one thing about that game is it kind of turned into a little bit of a snowball fight between both teams. By the way, some of it, yes, did have to do with field conditions because the ball was wet and we were trying to do the best to to, to let them play with balls that happen to be dry. But that you know you were mentioning this. That is what happens this time of the year. Throw the ball over the plate and catch the ball, and you're going to give yourself a chance to win. Yeah, and just even limiting strikeouts and putting the ball in play and making other teams beat you is half the battle as well, too. I know I just got off the phone with Pat Cheetah from Watertown talking about for a previous story I'm running this week ahead of their tournament. It was just, yeah, that's going to be a big thing is just getting on base, making them make plays and not trying to just give them easy outs and beat ourselves. Right. And I'm looking forward to that matchup, too, because I uh, I didn't know really much about Watertown other than the fact that they were a Crow River team, but I didn't know really anything about the Watertown Red Devils last year until I saw them in full force in the tailgating lot outside Chaska Athletic Park before their game on Labor Day week, and I went, oh boy, this is a team I can root for if they're going to come party like this at a state tournament game. And I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to that matchup because I know Cold Spring put up 20 on New York Mills last weekend, and Watertown's got a really, really good shot to win this entire thing. They really do. They got the pitching, but really what people kind of forget is what they have is they have a really good lineup one through nine. Not nine guys that are going to probably be on top of everyone's lineup, but nine guys that just know their role, come through clutch hits, guys like Mitch Kelzer, uh uh, Andrew Nichols and guys like that at the bottom of the order. But that Watertown fan base is ready. They're ready to roll. I know a bunch of them were taking in that New York Mills Cold Spring game. Pat said he didn't like seeing them put up 20 runs, but uh, they'll be ready to go. They've been eager. They've been sitting there waiting, and they, they just want to play. Yep. So let me ask you a question from a coverage standpoint, You know, knowing that I'm journalist trained. Do you look at the bracket coming up for the given weekend and say, I'm going to start here, work my way there? Or do you pretty much know where you're going to be as it relates to three sites? Do you pretty much know where you're going to be throughout the course of an entire weekend? Yep, so I had it all lined up, ready to go Monday night, I believe, and then State Board kind of pulled a 180 on me and moved the Waconia game over to Measle. So that'll throw a little hiccup in things, but... Saturday night, I'll for sure be in Dundas for the Delano game. And then Sunday, for sure, I'll be in Dundas for the Broughton game. And then I'll also be back in Faribault at 4.30 on Sunday to cover the Watertown game. It's still deciding if I'm going to get to that measles game before Delano on Saturday. But I try to see my Region 7 and Region 12 teams where they're playing, What how can I get to the most games, and then obviously 
a few of those teams take priority of the others being more local to our office. Right. Very cool. Well, you know, as a fan of town ball in general, I always appreciate, you know, guys like you and Eric Croucher and all the guys that I lean on when I can't make it to a given ballpark because then I just follow you on Twitter and look up everything that's going on because that's the only way I'm able to see any action. So from afar and just as a fan, thank you for what you do for amateur baseball. And uh, also, thanks for giving me a few minutes, man. I know how busy that you are because, oh, by the way, high school football is starting up here very, very shortly. So I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, not a problem. I actually have a football game on Friday night. I'll be covering before I head back down there. But thanks for having me. Thanks for putting on a great tournament. I love being out there in terrible the first day. I got my bracelets from Weston. He had a heck of a weekend. Yes, too, he heard. did. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes. I know. I got, I got requests from my girlfriend and her nephews for a couple bracelets. So if I see her again, I'll be hitting them up for sure. All right. Well, I will alert the, uh, alert the proper people that uh, we've got a crew coming down for the Weston Rost bracelet uh, enterprise that he's got set up there in Belfield. Uh, Kip, thanks so much, man. We'll be in touch, and we'll probably run into each other about a half a dozen times over the course of this weekend. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, Kip. Talk to you soon. You bet. Bye. There he goes, Kip Kovar. He is the sports editor for the Herald Journal, and if you don't follow him on Twitter, well, then you should, at Kip Kovar on Twitter. He covers a lot of different things, but especially town baseball. So if you are a town baseball fan, follow him on social media just like I do. I know I talk a lot about town baseball, but this is the this is the real sweet spot, especially given the fact that I'm part of one of the three hosts uh, for the state amateur baseball tournament. It's been a lot of fun, one weekend down and two weekends to go. It's been a lot to me personally, and I really appreciate you following along via my show, The Weekly Scramble. We'll do this again very soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, cheers.